The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, good morning everyone. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Have a good night rest? Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to speak, right? So I shouldn't ask you any questions, otherwise I am not supporting your practice, which is... Uh, uh, which is, I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we will support it in other ways instead by continuing with the suttas, and hopefully that will be nice and helpful. So, we're going to continue where we left off yesterday, uh, and we have been talking about some very profound stuff. It's kind of, usually we have a, a sequence whereby we start with the more basic Buddhist ideas and we kind of move towards the more profound things. But in this sutta, it sort of starts off in the deep end because uh, it starts off with uh, the idea of stream entry. So it's like an, just an alternative way of, of looking at things. So, so I hope you're okay with that. Uh, and uh, so we have been looking at the idea of uh, the problem with the I am perception, the I am feeling. Uh, and um, uh, uh, this is like the root. Yeah, it says there that you attend improperly. Yeah. Improper attention, I think, is the, Pali, is the English translation here. Ayoniso manasikara. But remember that this improper attention uh, is something that you have no choice about. Uh, yeah, this is a kind of just natural. You start off attending improperly. Why? Well, because uh, that's just the nature of the mind when it comes into this world. We are born with this perception of. I am, it feels like we exist in a certain way, and so we attend improperly in this way, just as a default of the mind. Yeah? So this is not something that you are kind of uh, responsible for, or you are kind of not thinking straight or whatever. This is directly related to how we feel ourselves, how we perceive ourselves. In fact, if we didn't have this, we wouldn't get born in the first place. Right? This is kind of the Buddhist way of uh, looking at, at these issues. So um, uh, that is so, so for that reason, because this is natural, uh, we then have to actually practice uh, to see the opposite, uh, to try to understand the danger in this, the problem with this outlook, uh, and then go in the opposite direction. It actually takes a lot of reflection, a lot of meditation, a lot of because it is so deep seated in the human mind, uh, and this is uh, the problem. Uh, so this is then the next uh, aspect of the sutta, is how to uh, deal with this in a way we can overcome this particular problem. Yeah? And as you do that, you overcome the idea of dukkha, you overcome all everything at the same time. Uh, so this is then the next section of this particular sutta, how to overcome this bias, this distortion of perception and thought. Um, it's kind of interesting, one of the kind of foundations of uh, Western philosophy is the famous Descartes. Yeah, Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. And of course, it's only the first part of that which is true. I think, well, okay, you think, that is kind of given. But the, the conclusion, I am, is a problem already. So the whole foundation of Western philosophy, in many ways, is kind of distorted, because all philosophy is wrongly based. Yeah, it is based on certain assumptions. And that is... Fascinating. Often we talk about being logical. Uh, yeah, we talk about what is best. Is it to be logical or is it to be intuitive? Uh, what is the right way of kind of dealing with the world? Uh, and both intuition and logic have their problems. Uh, 
logic has its problems because if it is based on false assumptions then logic is not going to work if it has the axioms at the root of the system are false then the whole system which is built on top of that is going to be false as well this is the problem with logic and if you come so if you come into the buddhist teachings and you try to be logical and you have some false assumptions that you're based on, then your philosophy is going to be off. And this is what you see with the Descartes idea of I think, therefore I am. So uh, logic works only insofar as the assumptions are correct. And of course, often the assumptions are not correct. And the classic assumption which is wrong is the I am assumption, uh, which is always there with us. So that for that reason, logic often doesn't work. And then you have to do things different. That's why insight works instead. Thinking doesn't work. Thinking is like logic. What work can work, however, is insight when you see things directly. Intuition, similar kind of problems. As long as the intuition comes from the idea, I am, it is problematic. But the more pure the intuition is, the less defilements there are, the more likely it is to be correct. Anyway, so... Uh, let us carry on. Yeah. So last time we saw how all of this I am thinking, it leads to all sorts of philosophies about uh, uh, the self being perceived by the non-self, the non-self, uh, the, um, non-self being perceived by the self, the self perceiving the self and all of these things. Uh, and these are just different ideas about the world uh, that people give rise to when there is the perception I am. Uh, yeah. So that all comes from that. And then you have all this, all these philosophies and all these philosophies, all these ideas. They are what is called Sakaya Ditti. Sakaya Ditti being uh, the identity view, the view that you exist somehow. Yeah? And then you have this, uh, all these possibilities of how it is that you exist, how that relates to the five khandhas in particular, the five personality aspects. So what then is the opposite? So now we come to the opposite. Uh, but take an educated uh, noble disciple who has seen the noble ones uh, and is skilled and trained in the teaching of the noble ones. Uh, they have seen good persons uh, and are skilled and trained in the teaching of good persons. They understand to which things they should pay attention and to which things they should not pay attention. Uh, so they pay attention to things they should and don't pay attention to things they shouldn't. Uh, so um, um, they pay attention to things. Uh, what, what is Manasikaro? Yeah, I, it's more like it's more like the way you pay attention. Yeah, that more than actually. Here it sounds like you're paying attention to something, but it's actually the quality of the attention that really matters. Uh, is it wise? How do you pay attention? Is in a sense more important than actual what you are attending to. Because we attend to basically the same things in this world, but the way we attend to them will vary depending on whether you have wisdom or not. So again, so here you have the educated noble disciple, educated suttava, the one who has heard. And of course, what you have heard is the Dhamma, maybe from the Buddha himself, or if not, then at least his suttas or some disciple who knows what they are talking about. That is what educated means in the suttas. Yeah, the, the learned is the translation by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, the learned noble disciple. 
And uh, so that is where it starts from. And you can see once you are learned in that way, yeah, then from that learning comes then the right attention, the wise attention. Like I said last time, Yoniso uh, Manasikara comes from the word of the Buddha. We learn to attend wisely. We learn that wisdom from the Buddha. And this is exactly what you see here. And if it's not from the Buddha, it is from someone who has the same kind of insight or the suttas of the Buddha. Yeah, so you understand, again, the difference, but you, should, you understand the things you should pay attention to and the things you should not pay attention to. This is what the sutta said at the very beginning. Yeah, what is right view? Uh, and that right view is understanding the difference between wise attention and unwise attention. This is exactly what we're seeing here when you have that right view. Yeah. So you pay attention to the right things, so don't pay attention to the bad things, or you attend in the right way, if you like. Yeah. What are the things they don't pay attention to and that they should not pay attention to? Yeah. And they are the things when attention is paid to them, uh, the unarisen defilements uh, come up, uh, and the arisen defilements, they grow. Uh, and these are the defilements of uh, sensual sensory desire, uh, desire to be reborn, uh, and ignorance. So these things are the things that don't pay attention to. These things here being not the not the desires, yeah, but the things that give rise to these things. So whenever you have more desire for worldly things, yeah, whenever you feel attachment is growing, whenever you feel, yeah, I exist, hooray, me. Yeah, wow, my, my existence is really cool. I hope I continue for a long time. When you think like that, uh, then you're paying attention in the wrong way. Yeah, that's these things are growing. Yeah. So whatever it is that you're doing at that point, uh, it means that that is not ideal. Uh, yeah, and then again, that comes from contemplating the gratification in things. Uh, yeah, the happy side of things. Uh, yeah, and, and whatever it is that you enjoy in the world, whatever it is that you enjoy with existence, uh, you po focus purely on the positive, uh, and you forget that there is a downside. Uh, these things then grow. So you don't do that uh, when you become a noble disciple. This is what this is saying here. Yeah. And what are the things to which they do not, uh, to which they do pay attention, and they should? Uh, they are the things that when attention is paid to them, it does not give rise to unarisen defilements, and they give up the arisen ones. Uh, that is the defilements of sensual, sensory desire, the desire to be reborn or to exist, uh, and ignorance or delusion itself. Uh, these are the things to which they do, they do pay attention, and they should. Yeah, so you pay attention in such a way that the desire for the worldly things does not arise, and it is abandoned. The desire to exist itself is kind of gradually given up, because you understand that existence is inherently flawed and problematic, and delusion or ignorance also is then eventually given up. Uh, you gain clarity uh, instead. Uh. So uh, anyway, so this is just the uh, kind of general statement, and now we come to the particular, what this actually means. Uh, because of not paying attention to what they should not, and paying attention to what they should, uh, the unarisen defilements don't arise, and arisen defilements are given up. Uh. So this is how you know whether you're paying attention in the right way again. Uh. And this is how you pay proper attention, yeah, they properly attend. This is suffering here. Yeah. This is the origin of suffering here. Yeah. This is the cessation of suffering here. Yeah. 
This is the practice that leads to the cessation of suffering here. And as they do so, they give up the three fetters. Identity view, doubt and misapprehension of precepts and observances. These are called the defilements that should be given up by seeing here. So there you are, the four noble truths. Finally, after all this time, we've been seeing all kinds of different kinds of right view. And someone was saying, yes, what happened to the four noble truths? We've seen all these other right views, but four noble truths are missing. Well, here they are. Yeah. Yeah, so they're always they're not, never very far away, the four noble truths. They're kind of lurking in the background. They're waiting to pop up, and here, here they are. So this is how you pay proper attention. Yeah. But what exactly does this mean? This is kind of the critical thing. What does it mean, paying proper attention, this is suffering? Yeah? How do you do that? Yeah? The Four Noble Truths are often portrayed as being very profound, and they are, because here you can see you give up the three fetters. That is the same thing as saying you become a stream enter. Yeah, I've been talking about stream entry a lot, because it is a nice, again, uh, it's a nice kind of... Uh, uh, level or you can peg things against that uh, so to speak uh, so uh, here we have it again uh, yeah and of course if we think about it in terms of stream entry it's a very profound insight uh, this is suffering means the five khandas are suffering the panchupadana khanda dukkha sankitena panchupadana khanda dukkha yeah, in brief the five aggregates or the five aspects of personality subject to grasping are suffering here uh, so what does it mean? And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. Uh, yeah, because that is a very profound. We should learn about suffering in a gradual way. This is suffering here. Yeah. And this is, I think, the right way of approaching these Four Noble Truths, to gradually, gradually increase our understanding of what suffering is, starting with the basic things, uh, then moving gradually on, onwards until you reach a profound insight into this. Uh, and if you approach it in that way, then the Four Noble Truths start to make sense from the very beginning here. Remember the definition of the Four Noble Truths. Yeah, it is Jati Pidukkha, Jada Pidukkha, Vyadi Pidukkha, Madanam Pidukkha, Apiyehi Sampayogo Dukkha, Piyehi Vipayogo Dukkha, something like that. I'm not 100% sure if I got it exactly right, but something like that, right? And so what is that? It is birth is suffering, old age is suffering, yeah. illness is suffering, death is suffering, being separated from what you like is suffering, being united with what you don't like is suffering. Yeah. And if you look at those things, these are basic human things that we can understand. Yeah, We can all understand death to some extent. We can have some idea of old age, even though you're still young, it's not that hard to kind of grasp what old age will imply. And if we have any doubts, we can ask those people who are older. We had um, uh, we had one of the uh, people who came to offer us breakfast this morning. Uh, he said he was working with people, old people. Yeah, it's like working as a nurse. Uh, and he said some of the people he was working with, one of the person was a uh, quadriplegic. What else was a quadriplegic? And uh, Alzheimer's. Al yeah, but it was something else. Quadriplegic and something else, and had Alzheimer's on top of that. Uh, yeah, so it's, so it's like, so it was <laughs> really, you know, and this is kind of old age. Yeah, this is often how it can how it can manifest anyway for some people. Uh, can be really problematic. So these are things that we can relate to. Uh, yeah. So and this is the basic idea of what suffering is, uh, and this is what we should contemplate. Uh, 
this is what we need to understand. Uh, being separated from what you like, well, this is very much part of the human condition. Every time you're not perfectly satisfied, uh, every time you have a bit of craving, uh, every time you're driven on in samsara to attain some kind of goal or whatever it is, uh, you're not really satisfied. Uh, and if you look at that, it is unpleasant. Uh, it's like an itch that needs to be scratched. Uh, it is something that you have to do. You are compelled to move. You can't just sit quietly and be peaceful. You're driven forward by this relentless craving and desire. And you think it is you. You think you're happy doing it. You don't really understand the alternative, which is being peaceful and at ease and quiet. And sometimes we don't really understand this idea of suffering properly. It, even basic suffering of ordinary life, we don't really grasp it. And you have to stand back and ask yourself. And sometimes you need the contrast between a peaceful meditation uh, and the ordinary kind of existence to understand that actually what we're going through is not is actually quite unsatisfactory a lot of the time. Uh. And this is the world, right? So when you contemplate suffering, often start with the basic things. Uh, understand why being immoral, for example, is suffering. Uh, why that leads to problems in your life. Uh. Remember, we're dealing with the Noble Eightfold Path here. Right view leads to right speech. We saw that before. It leads to right action. So if you understand the idea of morality and you understand why kindness and being caring and these kind of things in life, why they matter and why how they affect you, especially you, but also others, of course, but ultimately you, because we're talking here about the personal spiritual practice. If you understand that, then that is what drives you to become a better person, really, uh, and to the, for the blessing for yourself and others. Uh, this is like the most foundational understanding of this is suffering, yeah? Uh, being, acting in the wrong way, from wrong motives, uh, is bad, it leads to problems. Uh. But uh, more, and I think most of you understand that to some extent, yeah? That's why you're here, yeah? That's why you keep the eight precepts. Uh, so you don't really, perhaps I don't need to kind of expand much more, expand much more on that subject, but then you go further. Uh, yeah, and the next one is this idea of being separated from what we like and being united what we don't like. Yeah. And this is the nature of sensory existence. Yeah, and um, it is not difficult to see how the sensory world always uh, lets you down and how it is always problematic. Yeah, and uh, it is very useful at the time when you have a pandemic like we've had now, the COVID-19. And people complain. People say, "Oh no, this is not this is not normal." Actually, it is normal. Yeah, this is the problem. This is exactly the problem. This is normal, and if we accept that, it kind of changes our attitude to existence, our attitude to the sensory realm. Pandemics come and go. We actually know it is normal. If you look at human history, there's always been this kind of pandemics. Yeah, and uh, so it is normal. It's not really nothing has gone wrong. Yeah, doctor, doctor, I'm sick again today. Something is right with me. Yeah. This is Ajahn Brahm's favorite saying, and it's just, and it sounds funny, but actually something very deep, deeply profound. It's very profound, actually. Yeah, it means that pandemics and whatever it is are part and parcel of life. That's what it means, really. That's what it kind of expands out to. And so this is the way to think. You think that the, the political system has gone wrong when you see kind of you know political leaders that are not you don't really like in the world, yeah. And uh, world of politics seem to be kind of heading in the wrong direction. Perhaps, perhaps I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is not. Uh, the kind of the fighting between superpowers in the world and the all of this kind of stuff. And uh, so you, it makes. How do you feel when it happens? It makes you feel a bit 
anxious perhaps about the future, yeah, at least a bit concerned, if not anxious, a bit concerned about where the world is heading, and that is natural. There's always grounds for concern because the world is always heading in unpredictable direction. We don't know whether it's going to be better or worse. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. It's just so uncertain. The world has been mired in wars. Uh, you know, if, uh, if you go back in history, there's always been wars going on, sometimes very bad wars. Uh, the chances that there will be wars again in the future are almost 100% certain. Yeah, that's just what humanity does. We, we fight. Why do we fight? Well, in large part because of this I am conceit, uh, this I am problem. Uh, this is a large part of the, of the reason why we do these things. Uh, so when you kind of get realistic about the world in that way, uh, it starts to become much less attractive. Uh, and you start to understand that this is inherent uh, in the sensory realm. This is what the sensory realm is like. Uh, it is not really inherent in the realm of the mind, because the realm of the mind is a private thing. It's not really, it doesn't have that interaction, uh, that big-scale suffering in the world. Uh, but it's inherent in the sensory realm. Uh, so when, the more you think of, think of that, uh, the more you take on board the fact of climate change. Yeah, Climate change is, uh, you know, from... If you read about what top scientists say about climate change, it doesn't look very good. Yeah, right. Who knows how bad it's going to be, but it just doesn't look all that great. And again, that is part and parcel of the sensory realm. Can we change it? Can we stop it? How far will it get? It's all of these things that are so uncertain. Yeah, this is the sensory realm. <laughs> I, 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 maybe I should stop there I, otherwise you might all get depressed by the end of the by the end of this retreat yeah all these negative things building it all up but my point is not to make you depressed my point is just to show you that there is a problem here yeah and there is an alternative that is kind of the thing there is another way and that is the point of this the idea is then to turn towards these other things and that is the spiritual path because when you give up the sensory realm you actually access instead a far more interesting realm, which is the realm of the mind. That is what meditation is about. That is what Satipatthana practice leading up to Samadhi is all about. It leads to that. And it's far better, far superior in every conceivable way than the sensory realm. So that is what it does. Yeah, it helps us to give up those things. This is why you learn this is suffering. And then you move towards something that is less suffering. So this is how this is ideally how you do this, and then you go even further. Yeah, that you that even that isn't enough. Even the realm of the mind ultimately is not really satisfactory, and that is where the Dhamma becomes really, really profound and really, really deep. And that's when you understand that the very idea of I am is problematic, because the moment you have that idea, attachment follows as a matter of course. It has to. I am has to have a. As I, like I said yesterday, it has to have certain attributes. Uh, and those attributes of I am, they, they are the place where you will attach. Uh, and because you attach to that, and because you cannot hold on to it, because that too is impermanent, uh, you're going to suffer down the track. Uh, and then that attachment moves its tentacles into the world, into the ordinary world, uh, because it wants to create suffering for itself. And then you get all the suffering of the sensory realm coming also from this idea of I am. Uh, why? Because I am has to attach. To attach. That's the nature of I am. So ultimately, we see that too. Huh? Through deep meditation, that too is not really worth holding on to. Huh? And this is the final kind of barrier huh? that you break through. Huh?
Yeah, and that is when you understand suffering fully. This is what it means to understand suffering fully. But start with the basic things. Uh, start with the simple things. Uh, don't go too fast towards the I am, because that I am thing is profound uh, and it's difficult to grasp for most people. You know, for a time you have to take it on board. As someone said yesterday, you have to have a bit of blind faith in Buddhism as well. Yeah, blind or partially seeing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but uh, true. But hopefully one day you will kind of at least move in that direction and see what's going on. So this is how you pay attention, yeah? Just this way of thinking. You are doing this job already. Yeah? This is what it means. And if you do this kind of thinking after a good meditation, it will be much more profound. You will see more deeply into these things. But the basic idea is the same. This is how you do Yoniso Manasikara. This is part of it. One aspect of Yoniso Manasikara, I should say. And then you do the same with this is the origin of suffering. Yeah. What is the origin of being immoral of doing doing the wrong things. Uh, the origin is that you think that these things are so important uh, that immorality is worth it. Uh, yeah, I the, the uh, this relationship is so important to me uh, that even if I have to kind of do something bad to the to the rivals I have in this relationship, even if I have to kind of get those rivals out of the way, uh, it is worth it. Why? Because this relationship matters so much. Yeah, or if you are looking for maybe some kind of promotion at work, then you kind of you, you do something that is negative with your coworkers, you make them look bad or whatever, because you this promotion is so important. Uh, it's about the very essence of life. Yeah, this really matters, uh, and then you do something bad. So you're thinking wrongly. This is the cause of the origin of suffering. Yeah, yeah, you you don't really understand. Uh, uh, you're thinking wrongly about these things. Uh, and that craving for those things then drives the suffering as a consequence. So the opposite then is to think about those things as problematic. Yeah, the origin, if you understand the downside of those things, then that becomes the origin of happiness or letting go of suffering instead. And um, so you always need to remember the downside. It's called the adinava in Pali. Adinava means like the disadvantage, yeah, the downside of things. This is the cessation of suffering here. Yeah, thinking properly. This is again obviously very closely related to the previous one. You avoid suffering by avoiding the causes of suffering here, by thinking about things yonisomanasikara in the wise way, not delighting in things that do not really deserve to be delighted in her. Yeah, and then by giving up that delight, then you are seeing gradually the ending of suffering here. And then eventually, this is the practice that leads to the end of suffering here. Yeah, Noble Eightfold Path and all of that. Why? Because it purifies your mind, gets rid of the defilements, the defilements that distort your outlook. Yeah, and you start, you understand what this is about. So this is all part of this proper attention. So um, that is how you pay proper attention. And as you do that, uh, what happens? Three fetters are eventually given up. And this is when you become the stream enter. You abandon this three fetter. A fetter is something that binds you. Yeah, A fetter is something that ties you down. And what it ties you to is uh, 
Sangsara, Sangsaric existence. It ties you to the round of rebirth. Uh, You carry on around and around. It ties you to suffering, quite literally. Uh, So you are tied to suffering. You are rejoicing in suffering. Yay, may I suffer more. Hooray, this suffering is marvelous. This wee. And then you're really happy. Suffering going on now. This is what's happening. Yeah, you think you're happy, but uh, actually you are you are confused about suffering and happiness. This is kind of weird, isn't it? But that's really what the Buddha is saying. Yeah. He has this beautiful saying that what the noble one says happiness, the ordinary people say is suffering. And what the ordinary people say is happiness, the noble one says is suffering. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we have the exact opposite view of what the noble ones have. Yeah. Don't really understand what is going on here. Yeah. So you give up these three fetters. Yeah identity view this is the view that you exist in a certain way in relation to the five khandhas yeah i am the will i am consciousness or i am in the will or the will is in me or i own the will yeah these are the four ways in which you have that identity view in relation to the five khandhas either you are that khanda i am the will Yay, I am the doer, I'm the creator, I am all of these kind of things, yeah? Or the creator is in me. I am more than the creator, but the creator is part of me. Yeah? Or um, uh, I am in the creator, yeah? I'm the creator and all these other thing, things are inside that creator. Yeah? Or the creator is mine, I'm the owner of the creator. Yeah? These are the four standard ways that identity view is uh, explained in the suttas. Yeah? And the point of all that, you don't have to remember all of that. Yeah, these are just, uh, don't have to write it down. You know, you can if you wish, but <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, I see some of you are very diligent in, in taking notes and things, which is great, but it's not, not really required. The idea here is really just that uh, there is a one way or another, uh, you have a feeling of there is a me in there. Uh, yeah, And the reason why the Buddha is kind of expanding it out in this way is just to make sure that all the various ways that our mind distorts and contorts to allow the sense of self to survive, uh, they're all caught by this, uh, uh, by, by his um, way of explaining things. There's no way of sneaking out of it. Uh, yeah, That's kind of the point of this. Uh, so it's just all you have to remember that there's in one way or another you are seeing some kind of permanence in there. And that is related to the five khandhas. Yeah, I am the body. Yeah, this body is mine. That's kind of the most basic one to overcome. It's fairly easy to see why that isn't the case. And you do that with all of them. This is Sakaya Ditti. And when you see the full insight uh, that you have with stream entry uh, you don't have the psychiatry anymore you don't you know that there is nothing in there which is permanent uh, nothing at all nothing that you can rely on uh, including consciousness itself uh, that's why the fetter of psychiatry of identity view has been abandoned uh, you no longer have that uh, if you ask an aryan a noble person where you know what what is uh, the real you, you know, what, what, what is in there. Uh, and they will never, never be able to point to anything which is permanent. Uh, this is what, you, what happens when you become a noble person. Uh, identity view is gone, has gone out the window. Uh. This is really the thing that defines the stream entry more than anything else. Uh, the idea of not having any sense of identity or permanence. Uh. Then you have the idea of doubt disappears. Uh. And this is what people often, and this is um, an interesting point, because what exactly does it mean to have doubt? Uh, yeah, And it obviously does not mean 
ordinary things of the world yeah doubting about uh, you know i don't know doubting about i don't know what uh, uh, whatever it is all the worldly stuff yeah about the, how to get from here to melbourne or, or or you know whatever or how to not to get lost when you go for a walk the other way i, I went for a short walk just to get some exercise uh, and suddenly think, oh, where am I now? And <laughs> I don't really know Melbourne at all. Yeah, I just kind of walk randomly around, and suddenly you kind of have no idea where you are, which is kind of fun. I kind of it's a bit enjoyable when you do that. But I try to, obviously, I try to keep track so I get back in time. But so this is not what doubt is about. Doubt is very specific in the suttas. Doubt is about understanding what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. You have full insight into that. And that can mean that you understand the Dhamma, you understand what teachings are wholesome and unwholesome. Yeah? When you read the suttas and you compare it with other things, you know what, what the real teachings are. It is said that if you are a noble one, you are incapable of taking anyone else as your teacher apart from the Buddha. Yeah, it makes sense because the Buddha is the one who teaches these teachings or anyone equivalent to the Buddha. Yeah, That would be the same, of course. But that is the only Dhamma you can take seriously because any other teaching, uh, they would have ideas of self in there. Yeah? But if it is Dhamma, then it doesn't have that. And uh, it's important to remember that this is not some kind of exclusivist claim that Buddhism is the best, everyone else is wrong. It's not really quite like that. It is more the idea that there is a certain reality to be found. Yeah? This is what it really is about. And that reality will be there. And it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Buddhist. It doesn't matter whether you're part of the BSV. It doesn't, you can, it doesn't, all of these things are completely irrelevant. Yeah? It is a access to the nature of reality. Yeah? And you can call yourself a Christian if you like. And if you have access to that reality, you will see the same thing. Yeah? That is not so. It, it is really more a, a universal claim. It's not a claim that you know somehow you have to be Buddhist to see these things. And this is one of the things that makes Buddhism so different. It is a uni- kind of universal spiritual teaching that has to do with the nature of reality and not to do with a special relationship that someone has with a deity. Almost all relation, religions are about a special relationship that an individual has to a certain deity the christian god the hindu gods whatever it is yeah that's usually what religion is about but not buddhism it's about universal truths it's a very different idea and it's important that we don't conflate those things and we kind of because um, sometimes we tend to understand one religion in terms of another but actually there's a big gap here between these different religions the the way they work is very very different this is about seeing the nature of reality. So once you see that, uh, you don't have any doubt anymore. Uh, you know what is going on. Uh, you're able to distinguish the true teachings from the untrue one because you know what matches with that reality. Uh, and as we saw before, we saw the idea that when you have right view, you know right speech from wrong speech. Yeah, That's the same kind of thing. You know what is wholesome and unwholesome. Uh, you know that. But again, it comes from your insight into these things. Uh, you know the mind uh, to its depth you, you, because you see non-self. All you see now is you see qualities of the mind, and you know which qualities are good and which ones are bad. Uh, you don't see there is no obstruction there from the sense of self and all of that. Uh, so that is what overcoming doubt really refers to. It means you understand, you know whether you're on the path or not. Uh, you know whether the mind state you have now is positive or negative. Uh, yeah. So you're always leaning in the right direction, always moving on the, uh, on the path, because you know moment to moment what is going on here.
That's doubt which is overcome. And uh, then the last one is the Sila Bhatta Paramasa, Paramasa, misapprehension of precepts and observances. And uh, this is Sila, uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting that Sila is there. Sila, the other one is Vatta. Sila, Bhatta, B and V kind of interchangeable. Sila, Bhatta, Sila, Vatta. Um, so these are the two things that you don't, it says here, misapprehend, but really what it means, it means you don't grasp them. Yeah, This is what it means. Uh, you overcome the grasping of precepts and observances. Uh, this is what re- this refers to. Uh, and uh, this is about the fact that when you become a stream enter, uh, you become naturally virtuous, uh, naturally moral. Uh, these things become part of you. Huh? You don't have to strive. You don't have to grasp them anymore. Huh? Before that, we need to grasp them a little bit. Uh, yeah. Don't be afraid of grasping things a little bit in Buddhism. Uh, Buddhism is a bit like uh, a ladder that you climb, and you have to hold on to something. Uh, and the reason we have to hold on to something is precisely because the sense of self. The sense of self compels us to hold on to things in the world. Uh, so what you have to do is you have to hold on to something that is useful. Huh? Yeah, if you don't hold on to the precepts, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to break them. That's what's going to happen, huh? and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to make any progress. So a little bit of holding on to the precepts is actually good. Huh? You, you could take take a little bit of pride, perhaps even in that. Yeah, that you are a good person. Huh? Not to try not to have too much pride, because obviously pride is not a useful thing. Huh? But you take a, you know, because a sense of self is there, you don't have any choice in the matter. It's better to take pride in being good than to take pride in being bad. Yay, I'm a bad person. Wow, I really know how to exploit people and do dodgy stuff. That's, that's, really, that's really bad. Yeah? It's much better to take a little bit of pride in being a, a good person. Yeah? So uh, you don't grasp the sila anymore. You don't grasp kind of vatta, vatta being observances. And that can be, uh, I've got to meditate every morning. Yeah? So you do that every morning regardless of what happens in your meditation. Uh, and you hold on to a few of these things. Uh, yeah? Or you take the five precepts or the three refuges or whatever. These are like vattas observances. Uh, so you don't stop grasping them uh, at, this, at a certain point. Uh, but uh, before that, uh, you do grasp on to those things uh, that are positive in your life. Uh, don't be too afraid of grasping. Uh, I have uh, noticed that sometimes uh, lay people or people or whoever uh, think that this is a these three things. Uh, they are uh, practices that you should do. Uh, yeah, to attain stream entry. Uh, yeah, you should stop having sakaya ditti, identity view. You should not have any doubt, and you should not misapprehend precepts and observances. So we say, okay, I better stop grasping my, my virtue. Yeah, I better stop grasping things because that's how you me- become a stream enter. But that is the wrong way of thinking about this. These are not practices to be done to become a stream enter. These are outcomes of stream entry. There's a big difference there. Yeah. In fact, a little bit of grasping is actually required to reach these things. So th- these are more like outcomes. Don't uh, look Don't look to these things for the practice. The practice is to be found in the Noble Eightfold Path. uh, And this is what happens uh, then when you actually practice that Noble Eightfold Path uh, in the right way. uh. So, then uh, the last thing here. These are called the defilements that should be given up 
by seeing, yeah, or by insight, you could say. Dasana is the Pali here. It is seeing because it is uh, about what happens after deep meditation. And uh, again, we had the question the other day, do you really need to meditate to get here? It doesn't say in the sutta anything about meditation. It starts off straight away with right view. So surely it means that you can just sit back and listen to the Dhamma and bang, you're a stream enter and then you do the rest. But uh, be careful with that because remember the suttas have to be understood overall. Yeah, one sutta is not going to give you the path to awakening. Yeah? One sutta has to be understood in conjunction with the other ones. And one thing the Buddha says always, again and again, and we will see this later on, is that it is samadhi that gives is the cause for yata buddha jnana, dasana. Dasana is what we're looking at here. Yeah, dasana requires samadhi. Yeah? So if you're going to see things properly, you have to have samadhi first. There's no choice. How do you get samadhi? Well, samadhi happens through meditation practice. Yeah, it is a stillness, the peace of the mind. You need that profound stillness of the mind uh, to be able to see things. Uh, this is what you see again and again. Uh, so please keep that in mind that it is the suttas overall that give the teachings. Uh, and sometimes an individual sutta it does not give sufficient information. This sutta starts with dream entry. Why? Well, because sometimes the Buddha talks to, maybe he talks to stream mentors, yeah? Okay, guys, you're all stream mentors, this is what you do now. Something like that, yeah? And then it kind of moves on from there, yeah? So this is, uh, this is an important thing to remember, yeah? But this is what happens after stream entry, ideally. Okay, so now we can uh, carry on. Uh, and... Uh, I want to look at some more uh, perceptions. This is all about uh, dasana, which is, can be considered right view. Yeah, And uh, the next suttas are also kind of various ways of uh, thinking about right view, if you like. Yeah. And um, the next sutta is a sutta I have never done before on any retreat ever, yeah. but I, I just kind of whacked it in there. I thought that might be interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it is very much about right view, very much about how to think about the world in various kind of ways uh, yeah so um, that's why I thought we'll have a look at that we'll see what happens when we when we do that uh, it has some very interesting perceptions in there how to develop your mind in a certain way how to think about things uh. so this particular sutta is from the numerical discourses uh, uh, the chap the seventh chapter the seventh uh, number 49 and it's called perceptions these are the various perceptions uh, that we can develop on the path to aid the mental development. And uh, uh, it four, it says there, so it's starting with paragraph four. I can't remember what comes before that, but anyway, so we'll just start with that. So I guess this is what I consider the most uh, relevant, perhaps. So uh, it starts off by saying that it was said the perception of non-delight in the entire world Bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, upasakas, upasakas, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having the deathless as its consummation. For what reason was this said? So, uh, non-delight in the entire world, sabbaloka anabirata sanya. Sounds, sounds cool, doesn't it? Sabbaloka anabirata sanya. Sounds like a nice... Nice perception. It kind of rolls off the tongue very nicely. And uh, 
<laughs> so uh uh yeah it, it in one way it sounds perhaps again it, it's one of those things that may at on the surface of it sound like hard to do uh, but this is the sort of thing that leads to samadhi because if you give up the entire world and here what is meant by the world is usually the sensory world uh, this is the hard part difficult part to give up yeah this is what we are so immersed in as i mentioned before from the moment you wake up till the, you go to bed and even at night you dream about these things it's we are utterly immersed in the sensory world uh, so if you're able to see the non-delight in that world it means uh, you are improving your chances of samadhi dramatically this is one of the basic things that stops us from going into deep meditation we need to be careful and i, I should maybe make that point straight away if you focus too much on the negative in buddhism you may end up becoming really depressed and sad so you have to build up the positive qualities as well there was one fellow an, an american fellow he i write, wrote used to write to him quite a bit and he came to Bodhinyana Monastery once, and he's, he would have this depression episodes. Yeah, I get really, really depressed, often for long periods of time. Eh? And then uh, eventually he found out that the reason why he get, got so depressed was because he was always focusing on the negative aspects of Buddhism. Eh? Everything is so terrible, everything is so dukkha, that after a while he felt there's no point in getting up in the morning, everything is so bad. Eh? So he would just lie in bed for months on end, yeah, literally feeling utterly depressed. And then eventually some spark would happen, he would come out of bed again and he would start practicing meditation. He's a really nice guy, incredibly nice person, eh? I remember him. Eh? And, and yet he, because he had focused, it looked like focused too much on the negative side, uh, he ended up like that. Uh. So when we talk about this, remember to find a balance in your life. Yeah? This is not the purpose, this is not to make you sad and depressed. Uh. The purpose is in fact the exact opposite. Uh. So monitor yourself, yeah? guide yourself when you do this to make sure you have a good balance. Uh. Otherwise it's going to be destructive. Uh. So the Sambaloka Anabhirati Sanya, this very simple perception of non-delight in the whole world, yeah? if you really develop it in the right way, it culminates in the Amata, the deathless. Yeah? Or you can say the freedom from death is what I prefer to call it, because deathless sounds like some kind of state, but it really means the freedom from death, the freedom from all the suffering of the world. This is the consummation of this. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? So then the Buddha, he doesn't really explain it in, in a great detail, so we have to kind of figure out itself, but what he says is the following. Yeah. When someone often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of non-delight in the entire world, their mind shrinks away from the world's beautiful things. Turn back from them, roll away from them, is not drawn towards them, and either equanimity or revulsion becomes settled in them. Just as a rooster's feather or a strip of sinew thrown into a fire shrinks away from it, turns back from it, rolls away from it, and is not drawn towards it, so it is in regard to the world's beautiful things. When someone often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of non-delight in the entire world. Yeah, you lose your interest in the world. Your mind turns away from that world. And you are either equanimous or you feel outright revulsion. Yeah, it's kind of a 
tough words being used here, but this is kind of the Pali is very is actually quite explicit that that's actually what it means. Uh, just like the feather, you hold a feather towards a fire, you can see how it kind of curls away from the fire. Similar kind of thing. Yeah. So how is this possible? And this is possible exactly with the things I was talking about before. Uh, just talked about them before. Uh, how the uh, world outside is so unreliable. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen in the kind of macroscopic world outside. Uh, uh, you know, Melbourne City, you walk through the local suburbs here, and it looks quite beautiful. Big trees, yeah, these suburbs, uh, nice, beautiful little parks. Uh, when I went for the walk the other day, uh, and it looks kind of um, beautiful. But uh, what's going to happen with this in the long run? Uh, and uh, it's just so unpredictable. Yeah, I like to kind of th- look at it. I mean, in Western Australia, they say it's one of the places most affected by climate change. I kind of look out into the beautiful park outside of our Buddha center and I look at it and I think of it as, think of it as all desert. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. This might be desert in the future. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's uncertain. It's unreliable. Yeah. You don't hold on to that beautiful view, yeah, which we often do. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, oh yeah, it's uncertain, it's unreliable. Or you come back to my cutie, it's very beautiful around my cutie in our monastery, it's very green and nice, well, especially after the rains retreat, after the rainy, yeah, rains retreat, rainy season. And uh, it's nice, the kangaroos out munching away. But uh, again, I remind myself how unreliable that is, how uncertain it is. Uh, everything outside in that world is just so unreliable. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen, there's nothing there to hold on to. Uh, and uh, when you start to see that, you feel, whoa, it's, it, it's unpleasant. Uh, yeah, initially it's unpleasant. Uh, but after a while, it becomes clear that you have to hold on to something else. Uh, you can't hold on to things that are so unreliable. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you have to hold on to the spiritual path instead. Uh, hold on to the qualities inside of you that you develop. That is where you can hold on. And even that is only temporary, but it's much better to hold on there than to hold on outside, in the world outside. Uh, because it will always let you down. Uh, as soon as you take your stand somewhere, as soon as you stand on that carpet, carpet here is here like a metaphor for the things that you attach to in the world, uh, the world comes and pulls the carpet out from under your feet. Uh, and then you stumble, you fall over, and you hurt yourself as a consequence. Uh, that is the result of attaching. Uh, that is the result of taking a stand somewhere yeah, on that movable carpet uh, that gets shaken by whatever it is that it gets shaken by. Uh, there's no, nothing to hold on to. Huh? And after a while it feels, why? You know, this is crazy. I need to turn in a different direction. This is the idea. Then you come to the spiritual path. Uh, your inner qualities of your own mind, you do have some control over. Uh, yeah, we can deal with those inner qualities. We can develop them. Uh, we can change them. We can become better people. We have some say over that. Uh, but the external world is utterly beyond our control. Uh. This, is how you, this is the way to think about this. Uh, yeah? Gently, though, be gentle with yourself. Uh, yeah, don't go too far. Uh, don't take it too much. Uh. And then there is more like the personal external world, the external world of our relationships, the people around us. Uh, yeah, whatever it is. Uh. Sometimes I sit next to Ajahn Brahm, and then I think, oh, even Ajahn Brahm is impermanent. Oh no, that's bad news uh, for someone like me. Yeah, I sit there next to him. I rely on Ajahn Brahm. He takes, he does all the work. I just sit there, uh, and whenever I want to hide away, I can kind of hide. And Ajahn Brahm is so big now, it's easy to hide behind him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so and this is the great thing about not being the abbot or being charged of any place. Yeah, you have less responsibility. Ajahn Brahm does the brunt of the work, and he's really good at it. 
and so and he's also very inspiring at the same time it's kind of all of these wonderful things and i have to remind myself pinch myself wake up Brahmali, what are you doing? Wake up. Yeah, get back to reality. It's impermanent. It's unreliable. You have to rely on yourself. You cannot rely on these things. Uh. And so our family members, uh, our own body, this world, the people rely on. Buddhism itself is impermanent. Uh. Yeah, Everything in the external world is unreliable. Uh. And then uh, as you see this, uh, you start to let go of that a little bit uh, and you move in a different direction. Uh. This is what this is about. Uh. It's kind of a it seems like a harsh teaching. Yeah, it seems really kind of in your face when you really think about the consequence of what is going on. Uh, but it is uh, the point is it's realistic. Uh, that is really the point. Uh, the point is not whether it's negative or you know people often say oh Buddhism is so pessimistic. It's completely missing the point. Uh, it's not about being pessimistic or optimistic. It's about being realistic. Uh, only if you are realistic can you make good decisions in your life. How can you possibly make a good decisions if you are deluded? Uh, it's madness to be deluded. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. First of all, you have to be realistic. Then, once you are realistic, there is the hope of finding a solution. That is the optimistic part. Yeah, that is where it becomes positive. So, it, it, this is really the point here. Be realistic, but be realistic in an intelligent and wise way. So, you balance these things out in a way that actually gives you access to something better, something superior to what the world otherwise has to offer her. For most people, this kind of talk is very depressing. And the reason is because they don't have an alternative. There isn't any way out of this. It is all they have. And if you take away all they have, of course, it's going to be very sad. And that is why I think some philosophers yeah, who kind of go too far down this track, maybe the kind of existentialist philosophers or whatever, I, I don't know much about philosophy, but sometimes you hear this kind of words and, and the ex existentialist philosophers apparently they came to some idea that existence is meaningless yeah and that's kind of terrible if there is no alternative uh, but if there is an alternative then the problem isn't so great uh, so you balance things out uh. so if you do this you turn away from the world's beautiful things because you understand how unreliable they are once you are attached to the beautiful uh, then you are already asking for suffering here uh. And then you turn back, yeah, you even have a sense of uh, aversion or revulsion towards these things because you understand how problematic it is. And the Buddha goes on, if a, when a bhikkhu often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of non-delight in the entire world, if then the mind inclines to the world's beautiful things, or if he does not turn away from them, he should understand, I have not developed the perception of non-delight in the entire world. There is no distinction between my early condition and my present one. I have not attained the fruit of development. It, it, you know, it's again. I don't like this kind of language. It sounds a bit. It sounds artificial. It doesn't sound like something a teacher would say. But the point is just that uh, he hasn't really attained the goal, the purpose of that non-delighting in the entire world because he's still. Uh, attached, yeah, he's still holding on to these things. The mind is not kind of moving away, so he hasn't really kind of gone beyond that. That's why it says there is no distinction between my earlier and the later state and all of these things. Yeah, it just means that he hasn't really practiced it fully. That's really all it means. Thus, he clearly comprehends this. So this is obviously the positive point. You are clear about what is going on. You you kind of you are monitoring your practice. But if, when he often often 
often does dwell with a mind accustomed to the perception of non-delight in the entire world. His mind does shrink away from the beautiful things. He turns back from them, rolls away from them, is not drawn towards them, and either equanimity or revulsion is settled in him. Just as the rooster's feather again turns away from the fire, uh, then he should understand, I have developed the perception of non-delight in the entire world. There is a distinction between my early condition and my present one. I have attained the fruit of development. Thus, he clearly comprehends this. Yeah, so the idea here is that you are basically what it means, that you are no longer interested in the sensory realm. That's really what it means. Does it go beyond that as well? Maybe, yeah, maybe you can take it even further. Uh, Sabbaloka can also be understood to mean even things beyond the sensory realm. It could perhaps be meant mean to understood all of existence ultimately uh, is not really interesting to you. All of that is problematic. All of it is impermanent. All of it is ultimately unreliable. Uh, but uh, the main thing to concentrate on is the sensory realm uh, because that is the thing which is required for uh, deep meditation to happen. Uh. When it was said, uh, the perception of non-delight entire world because when development cultivated is of great fruit and great benefit, uh, culminating in the deathless, having the deathless as its consummation, uh, it is because of this uh, that this was said. So, uh, <laughs> There you are. So that is uh, the joyous message for this morning. <laughs> and I was going to say, now let's go and have lunch afterwards. <laughs> it's interesting how often there is this gap, yeah, the gulf between how we actually live and, and kind of the, the feelings we have. And then you happily go and have lunch afterwards and you realize that some often these things are a bit on the intellectual level. Uh, that's where it starts out, uh, yeah, on the intellectual level. And gradually, gradually, you allow these things to grow and actually become a force inside of you, a force for good, not a force for bad. Uh, and that is when you're doing it in the right way. So take these things on board, and if you think it is too much and you can't really deal with it, then just don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, do not have, Don't do things that you don't feel comfortable with. Uh, but if it is something that you can make sense of, uh, then marvelous. Uh, and then you use that in a positive way, and gradually you develop it. Uh, and as you gradually see it, uh, it will gradually become powerful, uh, and it will become something that really aids you in your spiritual practice. Okay, everyone, that's all for now. So please do have a nice lunch, <laughs> and uh, we will see you back again at 2 o'clock. Yeah.